Hello, and welcome to What's the Big Idea? I'm Michelle Tuck Ponder. Today's episode is brought to you by Destination Imagination, commonly referred to as DI, the leading creative problem-solving experience for children. Through DI's innovative, project-based educational experiences, participants gain the skills that will set them up for success in careers like the one we're going to hear about today. Learn more about DI at destinationimagination.org. On today's episode, we are pleased to welcome Andrew Barry. Andrew is the Cleveland Browns Executive Vice President of Football Operations and General Manager. He's also served as the Vice President of Football Operations with the Philadelphia Eagles and also spent seven seasons in the front office of the Indianapolis Colts. Barry graduated cum laude from Harvard University with a bachelor's degree in economics and a master's degree in computer science. While at Harvard, he was a four-year starter as a cornerback and was a three-time All-Ivy League team selection. Barry and his wife, Britton, have two boys, Zion and Cairo, and a new daughter, Eden. Before I say anything, congratulations. Thank you so much, Michelle. Uh, that, that's wonderful. Um, and welcome from Berea, Ohio. Um, we're really delighted to have you here, um, especially since you are an alumnus of our Destination Imagination program. So. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. So, you know, I always start because as especially we bring people on this program to talk about careers and how they got there. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your current job? Sure. Um, so uh, I guess really probably anyone who gets into the NFL, you could hear 10, uh, ask that question to 10 different people and probably hear nine different stories. Uh, and I'm probably no exception. So I, uh, I grew up, uh, in a, let's say a football household. My, my dad and his side of the family, they were huge Cowboys fans. Um, my mother, uh, they were huge Falcons fans being from, from Georgia. And so coming up, I had a twin brother and older sister. Um, we were, it was basically like, you know, faith family football pretty, you know, pretty early on. And we were, at least my brother and I, we were probably Cowboys fans from like the age of like three or four, but you know, by the time we could, we could talk. Um, and so football was always like a, you know, a major interest. I, you know, I played starting in middle school, high school, um, you know, played in college at, at Harvard and probably like a lot of college athletes. I was, you know, I was hopeful one day to actually play in the NFL. You know, I was fortunate enough to be a, at least a good enough player to get into uh, working mini camp with, um, with Washington um, but I really didn't stick long. I was kind of like a fringe prospect. That, that. So at that point, uh, I had already accepted a job to work in financial service, work on Wall Street coming out of college. But I wasn't, um, I wasn't truly excited about going that route. I had gotten a lot of really great experience, but I was really more kind of talking myself into the fact that it was a good resume builder. It was a good company, you know, good money, but I just I wasn't excited. And so I, uh, I really kind of lucked into this career path because my first boss in the NFL uh, was a man named Tom Telesco. He was a scouting director for the Indianapolis Colts at the time. He's now actually the current general manager for the, um, for the Los Angeles Chargers. He, he had scouted me at, at Harvard you know, as a prospect and had gotten familiar with my background. He reached out and he said, hey, just given your, your background, I think you'd have a, you know, be a really great fit uh, you know, working in uh, an NFL front office and particularly player personnel if you have any interest in it. And we have this entry-level position, this entry-level scouting assistant position. Would you like to come interview for it? 
And I really, I didn't know much about scouting or NFL front offices or anything along those lines. Um, I knew I was interested in football at some, on some level. And so I, I really, to be honest, took the interview more as a courtesy uh, at first, but then after preparing for the, preparing for the interview, meeting people in Indianapolis, learning more from Tom, it was one of those things where it was like, Hey, I really think that this is me because it, it, it's at the intersection of a lot of different things that I'm interested in. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to receive the job offer. And so I really just did a 180 um, and packed up my stuff and my, uh, my 93 Acura legend and drove out to uh, Indianapolis and didn't look back. So that's a big decision. Wall Street football and, and Wall Street, you pretty much, you do a good job and work 23 hours a day. You know what's going to happen. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know where that, you know where that, that story ends. But football, you were really starting at the ground level. So what was it? Like, I know, yeah, it was the intersection of things, but what was it that you said, I'm going to take this risk? I think it was my own personal passion uh, because when I thought about the job and the career trajectory, I got excited. Like it, it, you know, all jobs are work, but all jobs don't necessarily always have to feel like work. And that was the sense that I, that, that was a sense that I got for this career path because I love the sport. Um, I was using my mind and creativity, whether it was with player evaluation, contract management, research and strategy, general operations. And every day was different. Um, every day was different. Um, it's obviously super competitive. Um, and you're working at the highest level of the sport. Uh, and, and I should also say this, I, I think of the people that I was able to enter the NFL with, like I worked under a hall of fame general manager. I mentioned, you know, my, my first direct boss, he's now a current general manager in the sport. And we had a number of really good people that are either general managers for other clubs today or high level executives. So I, I came under a really good group and a really established staff that invested in me personally. So it was, it was really that, you know, passion in conjunction with, um, you know, feeling I was learning and growing and able to exercise my interests in a number of different dona- domains. Um, and then also just exercise like critical thinking skills and creativity. So, you know, it, it, one of the things I think that people are interested in about football and I come from a mixed family, we were a Jets Giants family. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there was, there was a lot of fuss and fighting and arguing. Um, but a lot of times people don't realize that football is a business. Yeah. And and so as as you look at it from from that business perspective, can you talk a little bit about what you learned in DI around communication, collaboration, critical thinking, creativity? How do you use those skills in your work today? Yeah, so I'll actually talk about communication and collaboration on the on the first. Um, we say football is the consummate team sport, you know, because it really does take eleven individuals on a given play to have success, but that really extends past the playing field to your global football operation. I mean, to get it to put together a team or get it to Sunday, it takes not just, you know, your coaches and players, but um, your personnel group, which is your college scouts, your pro scouts, your contract management team, the research and strategy group that handles all the, the data analysis, um, your general support staff group. So that's like performance, you know, medical video equipment. And as a general manager, when you're overseeing the entire operation and you're trying to get everybody to like roll in the same direction with a roster of like, you know, 53 individuals, as opposed to maybe, you know, five or six or, or, you know, 20 to 25, um, it, it takes a lot of deliberate practice to make sure that everybody's on the same page and everybody's in the know and in the loop 
you know, so you can execute the, the daily responsibilities of running a club. Um, and that really speaks to the collaboration. If we're making a roster decision or a hiring decision or, you know, managing a situation in the game, it doesn't really just fall on, on one person. So, um, you know, I like to give the example of, you know, we just had, you know, the NFL draft and during our last round of draft meetings, we had our pro scouts, our college scouts, our coaches, our research team, um, our football information systems team, because they all have a significant hand in composing our, our final draft board because every individual has a different perspective and perhaps a different input that ultimately leads, leads to where a player is, is placed and then ultimately selected. Um, I think oftentimes people look at it from maybe the external side of things and think it's like, okay, it's just the general manager saying, Hey, I like this guy. I'm like, let's, let's do it. And I don't doubt that that's the case in, in some areas, but that's, that's not how we operate because we want to make sure that we bring the best ideas and best perspectives to the table. So we minimize the number of blind spots in, you know, in decision-making. Um, and that probably leads to like the critical, critical thinking and creativity aspect. You know, football is a little bit more of a, or has been more of a traditional business relative to some of the other sports uh, in terms of the day-to-day operations or, or decision-making practices. We are very deliberate in, in attempting to make sure that we challenge the status quo and are, you know, hopefully on the cutting edge of best practices. You know, we borrow from other businesses, we borrow from other sports, uh, and ultimately we really push our group to say, hey, if we didn't have any uh, institutional knowledge in terms of how something was done, we just did this, had a blank canvas or we're doing this from scratch. Is this the way we would actually do it? Does this, does this actually give us the, the best results? Um, and I think that that has served us real well as we've evolved over time as a whole operation. So how did you manage the, the pivot or I don't even know what to describe COVID as? Because, you know, if you look at the NBA and they did the bubble thing and, you, you know, you look at all the major sports, football was sort of unique in that it was almost impossible to do it that way. What did you what was your thought process when you realized that last season was not going to be? Yeah, it, I mean, it was it was a major challenge, but I guess from our perspective, it was like, all right. What can we control? What can we control? we can't control the effects of a pandemic or how long it's going to last. Um, but we can control how we operate within those constraints and probably speaking to the, you know, the creativity component, um, sometimes necessity breeds innovation. Uh, we had to, I think back to, so my first, the pandemic hit my second month on the job. And so call it, 80% of the way through our roster building processes, there are two things dumped in our lap. Brand new CBA a week before the new league year started. And then, and then the pandemic was maybe two weeks after that. So we really had to like totally revamp how we were going to do um, really the last 60 days before we were making major decisions in free agency, major decisions in the draft. And a big part of that was figuring out, okay, what do, you know, here are things that we, we typically do and we typically do in person. One, do we actually need them? Um, if we do, and honestly, for a lot of things, we found out like, you know, we probably, we probably don't need them. And two, for the things that we did need is like, is there an alternative way to acquire that piece of information or that, you know, that exposure? And, and there was like, and, and certainly what, like what we're doing today, right. As a zoom, you know, interview where you're in, you're in Kansas city and I'm in, you know, Brio, Ohio, and we're able to talk face to face 
Um, that was a huge tool for us, uh, not only throughout the draft process, but, you know, and this, this is probably a credit to our head coach, but building a community over zoom with, uh, you know, with a new locker room, a new coaching staff, and then ultimately going to the season to figure out how do we teach our players, um, and our staff, our systems, knowing that we can't necessarily be, in, you know, in person. So it was maybe the short way of saying it is like, it was a, it was a challenge and it was a little bit of a week to week, month to month, figuring out the, the best solution given the, the, the constraints on us. Um, but honestly, it's an experience that I would not trade for the world because there are still several practices that we'll, we'll keep in place, you know, even as, uh, uh the pandemic eases. You know, I think your comments are really going to resonate with DI kids because you're talking about a challenge and you're talking about barriers and you're talking about eliminating possibilities and finding a solution. So, you know, that that's going to resonate with our kids and with our audience. And we need to take a break right now, though. So we'll be right back with Andrew Berry, who is the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. Destination Imagination is busy behind the scenes, planning an exciting new season of creativity, collaboration, STEAM learning, and a lot of fun for your kids. Your favorite young people can choose from one of seven brand new in-person challenges now when you start a team. If you're ready to awaken creativity and ignite a love of learning in your child, join us today. To get started, visit us at destinationimagination.org forward slash the big idea. Welcome back to What's the Big Idea? I'm Michelle Tuck-Ponder here with our guest, Andrew Berry. And, you know, it, it, one of the things that we were just talking about um, having to shift and, and pivot and readjust um, after COVID um, I, it resonates with with what our DI kids do. But one of the other things our DI kids love, many of them have an interest in professional sports beyond I'm a fan. But they don't know. You mentioned a lot of things within um, operations that aren't don't take place on the field. So what if you were going to pick one or two positions or things that happen in your scope of, of work or what you oversee, what do you think? Um, people should know about it. What do you wish kids knew who say, I want to be in sports? What kind of jobs are, are available or opportunities are available? That's a fantastic question. So I think the first is, and you, you hit on this a little bit in your question, the breadth of roles, experiences, like expertise that not just NFL teams, but um, MLB teams, NBA teams, really any major, any major sports league will hire. I think you're right that people think, okay, if I can't play, then really maybe the only thing I can do is like coach or, you know, maybe someone will say, maybe I could just coach and scout. You know, but the reality of it is these are billion dollar organizations that are making, you know, multi-million dollar decisions and, uh, no different than the skill sets that, you know, Google or, um, you know, financial services are like really any no different than any Fortune 500 company would, would search in terms of like hiring talent. Uh, it it is actually pretty similar in a lot of sports organizations. So the example that I give is when I was in college, um, if you would have asked me, hey, how relevant would my computer science you know master's degree be in a football organization, I would have assumed that it w- it wouldn't be that relevant. But the reality of it is. 
Um, the usage of, of big data, uh, and it probably realistically started with, with baseball probably two decades ago, but in the need for data scientists, um, you know, chief strategists, you know, things along those, those, those nature that can, that can work with that have that technical expertise. Um, there's a really high demand for those individuals, um, you know, in the NFL and, and, and across sports, but that's not something that people typically, typically think about or, you know, with our contract management team that manages the salary cap, um, can't have enough people who are, um, you know, not only good with numbers, but, you know, really quite honestly, people would come from distinguished law programs, um, you know, because that, that skill set's important. And so those, those are maybe two, two examples that ne- don't necessarily come top of mind when people think of sports. Um, but those are also two examples of some of the more critical roles in the global operation. So maybe the long way of saying is any skill set that would be transferable in like really most organizations and most industries you work on, there's there's probably a place for it and a prominent role for it in a sports organization as well. But there's room for STEM people, people who who have that mindset. There's a role for them in sports, yes. so they shouldn't just Absolutely. just because they got cut from JV, they should no. not worry that they. Honestly, some, some, sometimes those people, or oftentimes those people, end up being the most you know the most successful in the in the industry. Like, mm-hmm. um, so I, I would I would certainly encourage. Like, at times, I'll, I'll be honest, particularly in the NFL, there is some traditional thinking where. People say, "Hey, look! If you if you didn't play or you didn't play at a high level, that okay, it's it's not gonna." You, 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 but like that mindset is dying, and quite honestly, it's mis, it's misguided because at the end of the day, like if you're working in a front office or on a coaching staff, you know we're not hiring you to block, tackle, or score touchdowns. Hiring you for your mind and your people skills. That is very cool. That is very cool. Something else that is really cool is be the solution because in addition to COVID, um, a major issue. Well, it's been a major issue for decades, but a major issue that's come on the front page is is what's been happening um, in terms of relationships between police and um, and and black men and black people. And so can you talk to our audience a little bit about Be The Solution and how it got started and what it does? So Be The Solutions really spawned last summer, um, specifically in the wake of the George Floyd incident. Um, and it affected, it obviously affected our, our country pretty deeply, but it also affected our organization from players, coaches, football staff, you know, business staff, and, and myself and myself personally, because I think, you know, certainly, you know, a lot of our you know, black employees could, could really kind of, the incident really just resonated with a lot of experiences within, within our lives. But we also had a number of employees that understood the, severity of the moment and we're, we're really more or less we're looking for a, a, a way to help or even just an, an outlet to you know to get educated on 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 issues incredibly less enforcement that you know, we have an organization of people across all different walks that really do have a heart for for service and a heart for community and an ownership group quite honestly that is hundreds of hundred percent supportive of improving Cleveland community, and so essentially, be the solution is a, a campaign where it provides ways for people to get educated, and it provides ways for people to get uh, involved in social justice work. Um, you know, the response has been really incredible internally and, and externally. Because what we what we didn't want to do is, is really just lose the emotion of the moment and just say, hey, look, this is wrong. You know, we're outraged. 
how can we use the moment to, to do something productive and create some level of impact, um, you know, at minimum with our local communities. And um, so that's really how it, how it started and, um, you know, the ultimate goal. So this all started with an email from you, I understand? It did. Um, when you know, everything happened last summer, internally, we had a lot of people who were struggling with it. And quite honestly, I was, I was, I was struggling with it too. And so the email was really more to get a few things off my chest and just kind of show some empathy to people who were also struggling, really probably over the, who were struggling over that time dealing with it, but then also to, you know, issue a little bit of a challenge to our organizations like, Hey, you know, we know, we all know that this is wrong. We all know that this is a, is a problem. Why don't like, why don't we actually just try and do something? And, and it wasn't meant, quite honestly, it wasn't meant to be public or, you know, really turn into, turn into be, be the solution or anything along those lines. But the response was great. People, uh, it was basically a challenge where I wanted people to either get educated, you know, pledge to, to get involved in, you know, a number of different initiatives or, donate to, to worthy causes that local causes that were, that were doing work. And they, they use the education materials. They did um, videos in terms of what they learned. They got involved. They, you know, we, we ended up raising a lot of money as, as well. Um, and really the response was incredible. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for doing that. I think that um, the lesson I, that I take away from it is that um you, you really have to be a social justice warrior in your own space. You know, we're not, you change the world one person at a time, one community at a time. And, and I thank you for, for taking leadership on that because that's, that's really, really important. So we are, are going to move on to our next um, section of our podcast, which we call Rapid Fire. You can guess. Um, there are questions that we would just like um well, no, a yes or no answer, but you'll be allowed a few minutes for explanation if you feel the need. And so the first question for you is, will robots ultimately come for your job? Yes. Yeah, really? Yes, but I'm going to say, but I'm going to say when I'm either very, very old or at the tail end of my career. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Good answer, good answer. <laughs> All right. Number two, is social media the best or the worst? Yes and no. But I'm going to say, I am going to say, yes, I think social media can do a, a lot of a lot of good uh, in terms of getting positive messaging or, or call to action. Unfortunately, in sports, we also do see a lot of the a lot of the, you know, the bad, unfortunately. But I think it is. A, I think it's a net positive. But you know, all, all good things have their negative as well. But I'm going to say it's a yes, a net, net positive. For sure. OK, now the final and most difficult question Yes or no, does pineapple belong on pizza? No, that's a strong no. It's not, it's, it's not even debatable. It's not it's not even debatable. And I will tell you this, my my wife and my dad would tell you the exact opposite. They're just they're just so misguided, Michelle. They're so they're, 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 it's you know, unbelievable. But you misinformation. Know, it's just I, it's honestly I think it's the grossest thing to have on 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 pizza possible. I just hope like Hawaiian pizza, nope, just it's it's awful. I I think we need to do a public information campaign to we just need to show people the light we just on proper pizza toppings. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like us to know before we wrap up? I guess maybe the thing that I would share and I would speak specifically to the you know destination imagination teams and people who are involved in in that program. I I think it's something that people will come to appreciate as they get older. 
the, the skills that you are developing by engaging and participating in the program. I think that growing up, it's easy for us to teach our kids what to think as opposed to how to think. And that's why I think destination imagination is, is so important. Um, so I, look, I, I'm, I'm excited to be on here. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm excited to be an advocate for the program. Um, I'm looking forward to what, you know, once the pandemic eases and everyone can be together again, but I, I would just encourage everyone who's involved in that to really com- compete in earnest and realize that you're developing life skills along. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate that. And one last question. What big ideas excite you now? I think the big idea that excites me now, and this is this is relative to my industry and my my space, but I think it, it probably spans other industries as well, is we're at an, a pretty exciting time where the use of data, and I would say specifically NGS or player tracking data, has a, a, a real chance to have a major positive impact in terms of how our sport makes decisions or quite honestly views the game. You know, we saw this a lot in um, baseball and in basketball when their you know, player tracking and motion technology really changed game strategy and how the game, uh, or excuse me, how players were evaluated. And I think we're on the cusp of maybe a similar transition in the NFL. Um, you know, which is something that, that certainly excites me on a daily basis because it's an area where um, hopefully teams, teams and us you know, specifically can gain a competitive advantage um, yeah, as teams figure out how to use it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So all best for another successful season. I will be watching you. I'll be watching the G-Men too, but I'll be watching you. <laughs> And thanks so much for joining us today. We'd like to acknowledge um, that this episode of What's the Big Idea was recorded on land originally inhabited and cultivated by the Erie, Lenape, and Shawnee Nations. We are grateful for this land and for the people who have stewarded it for generations. This episode was produced by Kelsey Selleck with additional material provided by Renee Rainville and Johnny Wells and with music by Kevin McLeod. Special thanks to our guest, Andrew Berry, for joining us today. You can learn more about Andrew, his work, and the Be The Solution campaign by visiting clevelandbrowns.com. I'm Michelle Tuck-Ponder. I thank you for joining us. And to learn more about our show and how DI can fuel even more big ideas, visit us at destinationimagination.org. Thanks. The U.S. Department of Labor estimates that 65% of today's students will be employed in jobs that have yet to be invented. We have no way of knowing what those jobs will entail, but we do know that the skills that will prepare them for success are the skills that they develop through destination imagination. Hi, I'm Johnny Wells, Director of Education for Destination Imagination. Before joining the staff, I was a team manager for over 40 teams. Being a team manager is still one of the most rewarding experiences for me as I watched hundreds of students thrive and grow. Destination Imagination, or DI, is an international project-based competition that reinforces the four C's, creativity, communication, collaboration, and critical thinking. You probably heard about those skills in today's episode, and DI is the place where kids like yours develop those skills for themselves. Students work together in small teams to create solutions to an open-ended challenge. DI's team challenges fall into one of seven categories, scientific, 
technical, engineering, fine arts, improvisation, service learning, or for the younger children, early learning. A DI team selects one of these seven challenges and prepares a solution to present at a local tournament. Throughout the experience, students create projects, solve problems, build relationships, learn new concepts, and have a great time in the process. We're building the workforce of the future. Today's DI participants are tomorrow's innovators, problem solvers, and leaders. If that sounds like a good fit for you and the young people in your life, we'd love to have you join us. To get started today, visit destinationimagination.org slash learn more.